Hello, and welcome to New Jersey is the World. Hi everybody, Chris Cathard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the World. We're continuing our streak of summer episodes. Because it's summer, man. We'll be getting outside again. Feeling good seeing this place, New Jersey. All of us who love it, we're getting out there, seeing it, man. Going down the shore, going out into nature. This episode's all about the great outdoors. The uh, outdoor spaces of New Jersey. The places that people don't think about when they don't know much about us. When all they know is the Newark Airport and the surrounding cesspool. They don't know about the following stuff. And this also has one of my uh, favorite things about this podcast, a running trend, which is every once in a while, Mike D gives us a Mike D story. And you realize he goes from being the chillest, coolest member of the crew to <laughs> maybe the most batshit of all. Who knows? Thanks to everybody who's been enjoying the uh, New Jersey is the World Patreon. We've got a lot of great content over there. Just last week, we had a hot week over there, man. We had a uh, an episode all about the renaming of the Garden State Parkway rest stops. That was patron exclusive. We had an episode of Fizzy Boys that dealt with an actual Nazi soda, and we did not know that about it until we were deep into the episode and realized, oh, wow, this is actually a morally reprehensible drink that we are tasting. And, of course, a dance remix submitted by uh, a listener of the Food Emporium theme song. I love this I mean, what else could you give me a bang for your buck over there? Anyway, hope everybody's enjoying these uh, last, uh, last few weeks of summer to get outside. Check out the Great Garden State, everybody. It's got more than you know. If you're not from here, you come here. You see some of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. You're about to hear all about them. Great outdoors. There must be something in the water in West Orange that breeds such avant-garde kids are gonna start shit. In parks where we spit arson and spark splits. Essex County, America's armpit. Carnival. Oh boy, that flea market. I bought a crossbow there. And I imagine it was sort of a two Roman legions charging at each other. Uh, Intertown fighting. Some people have been there in the middle of the night to whip pumas with belts. The last time I got in a fist fight, I threw a carton of Clinton's orangeade at a man's face. I'm going to take you to this terrible, crime-ridden city and then I'm going to pull my pants down on it. No, I've never had a hoodie in my life. Or a grinder. This is like a weird vortex that doesn't apply to the laws of time and space as I know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wotown, a podcast where New Jersey is discussed thoroughly by three idiots who grew up <laughs> together. Mighty, how you doing? How you doing tonight? Feeling, feeling idiotic. Bon- Extra idiotic tonight. Bonaduce, where are you at on the idiotic level tonight? Uh, ignorance is bliss. I wish I was more ignorant. Mm-hmm. Too smart for your own good. Uh, now, Mighty, you suggested the topic for tonight. I'm very excited. Uh, we went through and started punching in the outline. I was like, oh, this is, it's becoming very interesting. The topic proposed is the great outdoors. And the first thing I want to say about this before we start is we do look at things from the perspective of our growing up together in West Orange. I want to just point out, New Jersey is beautiful. It really is the Garden State. I mean, the Pine Barrens alone, just a very, very special thing when it comes to out, outdoors. And North Jersey, too. I mean, first of all, like Sussex County, Warren County, and then you get down towards the more central area of the state, Hunterdon County, parts of Somerset County, Morris County, like beautiful, beautiful, beautiful section of the state. We will be talking about the West Orange upbringing, though. And, and Mike, it was really interesting to me because as soon as I started 
looking at the, the outline you made, I was like, right, this is really about how we interacted with the outdoors. <laughs> so this is not going to be like a tourism brochure, necessarily. I didn't even realize how many formative things were happening when you when you plug kids who oh, God. are from Essex County, not really a nature-driven place, into an nature. An excellent county park system. <laughs> it does have a great county park system, but our day-to-day life wasn't walking on trails and stuff like that. Well, <laughs> when I think even our version of trails, as I imagine we'll dig into, is probably very different than what 99% of the people <laughs> in the United States think of as trails. So I, our the relationship you have with, and I'm making scare quotes, which people can't see, with the wilderness growing up in the part of New Jersey that we did is very, very odd because I think a lot of what we considered wilderness, especially when we were younger, we've come to figure out now we're just leftover <laughs> You know, patches of vacant like, land with trees on them. <laughs> places they couldn't develop for one reason or another, or, you know, we thought they were rivers. It was really just sewer runoff. <laughs> so, yeah, I think our relationship with the wilderness is probably a little different than what most people would, would think of as the wilderness. And you started off the outline um, saying that you, you, when you moved to West Orange, that you literally did not understand the concept of nature. I can remember extremely distinctly. So I moved to West Orange from a completely urban city part of New Jersey when I was about 12, 12 and a half. And I felt like I had been dropped in the middle of Yosemite. I was completely (laughs) flabbergasted. And this is the absolute truth. I had never walked up a hill in my life. Oh. And if you know the geography the West of Orange, West Orange, oh my God. it's, you know, it's, it's basically a town that's built up and down between two mountains. And I remember one of the first days that I had lived in the town, a couple of my buddies that I grew up with previously came to visit and we were all walking up this giant hill and we thought it was a mountain. But then when we came to walk down, I felt like I, my legs were like plastic man. Like I couldn't even literally, I could not understand <laughs> how to walk down the hill. I was like, how do people do this? I don't understand. It hurts my knees. I can't keep my balance. I, I mean, I really did. I just was blown away because I'd never seen, and West Orange is not wilderness. It's a suburb, but I was just could not deal with this. But there's a lot of wilderness in it. There's a lot of wilderness. There's trees, but you're not going to see. We have like, like uh South mountain reservation has an enormous herd of like wild deer living in it. Sure. That's and we'll wilderness. Talk about South mountain reservation, but I don't know how much the South mountain reservation was a daily part of our lives is the debate we'll have tonight, I guess. But let's start. We'll talk about the park system in West Orange, and then we'll get into the two reservations. Um, Colgate Park, I can speak to. This was a park in town, but this is more a ball field. This was a sort of where my half of town, uh, where a lot of the bad kids congregated. It was sort of known as a burnout. What we in the 80s called burnouts. They all hung out there. Um, Hoodlums. Some of them once vandalized my house on Franklin <laughs> Avenue. My dad chased them into the park. and uh, That's a great story. He cornered them in the park and started yelling, tell me which one of you kicked in my door or else I'm coming back down here and I'm caving in skulls with a pipe. And he had fallen while he was chasing us. He's covered in mud. And then he recently told me that he managed to corner one kid 
uh, or like a, a small handful of kids and just pointed to one of them and was like, you tell me who did it or I'm assuming you did it and I'm taking it all out on you. Like actual like Charles Bronson death wish type stuff went down in that park. Their day camp that they ran in the summer was as close to the Lord of the Flies environment as ever been. <laughs> Just every dirt bag from down the hill stealing from each other. And most of all, I actually have some friends who I'm like lifelong friends with who grew up kind of in the next neighborhood over from me. Because whenever it was uh, snowed, we'd meet up for sledding. And what you did was the kids from the different neighborhoods would all pack onto sleds and then we'd race each other to the bottom and fist fight. And that was kind of the, <laughs> the outdoors to me. That's awesome. Um, How every good sled ride ends. Indeed. Now With a, with a group fist fight. An, another thing just of the West Orange Park system, these tiny parks, I want to jump around a little bit. I want to talk about Degnan Pond, because this is another one that I think is like equitable to the Colgate field level. I had my uh, high school graduation party at Degnan Pond. Makes sense. They had the little field house there. <laughs> yes. But Nick, I don't remember if you were there. Mike D, I'm positive you were. A night that I have often cited as the single funniest night of my entire life occurred at Degnan Pond. Do you know of what I speak? Uh, does it involve someone who had a vocal tick in which whenever they were in trouble had to hum the theme song from Family Feud <laughs> again and again? Would it involve this person? I don't know if I knew that about that person, but it sounds on target. It involves a car? It does. Yeah. I think this is the, the same evening that we're talking about. Nick, were you there for that night? No, I don't think so. Oh, my God. So, I'll, Mike, I'll let you tell the story, but I'll say this. I was driving around with my brother that night, and we somehow caught wind. Like, the red alert went out that was like, get to Degnan right now. Shit's going down. All hands on deck. Uh, the one, the, our buddy needs your help. Everybody get there. And for the life of me, I can't figure out how that communication happened because this was pre-cell phones. Beepers. We didn't have beepers. Beepers. We all became, we were obsessed with beepers by our senior year. I never had a beeper. My brother never had a beeper. It was just like the winds. It was like just Nate, like gossip around town started spreading. I don't know how it spread, but we made our, our way to, uh, to Degnan Field, which was right next to the high school. And saw a crowd of our friends, including you, Mike T. So I'll let you take over. Because I, when I say that I instantly doubled over laughing, <laughs> I can't stress how I am not exaggerating at all. Because, Mike, you were present already. So explain what I saw. I was in the middle of this. So Degnan Field was a, a small park adjacent to our high school. It had a, a pond. And then it also had a, a baseball diamond, which was not the baseball diamond where, where they played sports on for the high school. It was more of a local baseball diamond. But this was right next to the high school. And it had been, you know, it was a place where kids would go into the parking lot and, and hang out on the weekends and do all the things that teenagers do. And it had been raining for a few days. And we had this buddy who had a, a, a nervous tick that he constantly had to make the Family Feud <laughs> theme song. He would go, bah, 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 Oh, that's bah, what that bah, is. Yeah, oh, that's the, the bah, Family bah. Feud. Yeah, the, bah, 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 
I always knew that was his thing. I didn't realize it was the Family Feud. But then it changed after that. Yeah, I know. I hear you. Yeah, it, it, it morphed into something later. So now, now I know. And our buddy, he he had a car, his own car, which a lot of, I mean, not many people that we knew had their own car. So if you had your own car, you can kind of do what you wanted. So we were down at Degnan Field, and he says, it's really muddy. You know it'll be funny. So he gets into his car, and he drives out of the parking lot directly onto the baseball field. And he cuts the wheel and starts spinning, and mud is flying and shooting up into the air like 8, 10, 15 feet. It's squirting everywhere. And he's got the windows open. And he's singing the Family Feud theme song. And he's like, we're all laughing. So he drives back to the parking lot. He's like, come on, come on. Everybody get in the car. It'll be funny. We'll all do it. So a whole bunch of us, more people than can fit into a, a late 80s Chevy Nova. We all get into this car and he drives back out onto the baseball diamond. And we have some, you know, terrible no effects like music blasting. And he just keeps spinning the car in circles. And then he figures out if he lets off the gas for a second and then hits it again really hard, the, the fishtail of mud will shoot even higher so he keeps doing that and i mean we're like berserk and laughing and so he lets off the gas one time and he hits the gas again and the wheels just start to spin he's like oh and he does it again and the wheels keep spinning and he does it again and the wheels keep spinning and then the car is completely stuck and we're like oh it's no big deal we'll push it out and so we go to open the doors and we can't open the doors to the car because the mud has come up above the door it's completely up into the wheel wells and is above the opening of the door so we're like alright we're, we're in trouble here we're like we'll figure it out we're smart kids you know the guy who's driving is going to engineering school the next year we'll figure this out so we all climb out of the windows of the car we try to push the car. We're pushing. We're covered in mud. We can't get the car out. We're like, oh, what do we do? And he's like, well, we need a lever. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you know, basic mechanics. You can use a lever, an inclined plane, to get to, to move something if it can't move itself. So we're like, well, where are we going to get a lever in the middle of this park? Like, oh, the bleachers. So we go over to the bleachers, and all of us start jumping up and down on the wooden bleachers, like eight, ten kids till finally we get them to snap in the middle at the weakest part. We break off the planks of the bleachers. We go and put them under the wheels of the car. We're like, okay. And he guns the car and the car doesn't move, but the two planks of wood <laughs> shoot out from the back wheels at like 40 miles an hour into the air. So it basically turns those into deadly projectiles. This goes on for like an hour and we start calling people, which is when I think we called you. And I think the reason that we were able to call you, Chris, was we're like, oh, it's Friday night. Chris and Greg are definitely watching wrestling. They're going to be home. Uh, I think I think that was. And there was like there was like pay phones around. There, there was definitely pay phones at the field house. So we call a bunch of people. We have all our friends. At this point, there's 30 kids there. We have rope, chains. Everybody's trying to pull the thing out. So finally, we realize, all right, we're not getting out of here. So we call up a tow truck driver, and we're like, ah, yeah, our car is stuck in the mud at Degnan Field. He's like, all right, okay, where at Degnan Field are you? And he's like, ah, oh, about third base. <laughs> so the, the tow truck driver drives down. The field is completely destroyed. He sees what we're doing. He says nothing, basically. He charges us a ton of money, which some, one of the kids there had an ATM card somehow. He gets the money out. It wasn't even his car. He pulls the car out with chains, and we all go on our merry way, which I think is where your brother comes, or you come back into yeah, the story. Yeah, so I, I, the first thing I have to say is, like, when you, when you come into Degnan, you're kind of coming down a hill, so you see it from above. And I just have to, 
let everyone know that nothing about Mike's D story was exaggerated. When I say that there was a car where you could only see the top half of the car, <laughs> that's what the situation was. Like you couldn't, like if someone was sitting in the car, we would have only been able to see them from like the shoulders up. Like that's how deep into the mud this car was sunk. And then, yeah, the sad postscript to the story is that in very much the Gethard family luck, we were two of about 20 to 30 kids there. And of course, the tow truck driver, it turns out the only kids he recognized were my brother and I, and specifically my brother. Like, I don't even think he knew my name. It was like the Gethards were there. Greg Gethard was there. What it turned out was that the guy... um, the tow truck driver, his kids were in the same Cub Scout group as my brother and I. Oh, God. Oh, Troop 3? So he knew us because he was from our side of town and everybody else was from your guys' side of town. And it was just a bad scene. The police kept calling my house. No. They kept telling my mom, oh, you're going to have to pay for these bleachers. My mom was like, I'm not paying for a thing. I don't know what you're talking about. They said they were going to bring my brother into juvie, which would have been like, he would have gotten eaten alive. Oh my gosh. He wouldn't, he actually didn't tell on anybody. Um, And then my mom revealed to us that she... (laughs) Like years later, she revealed to us, like within the past five years, she said she basically just eavesdropped on every conversation my brother and I had until she figured out who it was. And then she called the cops and was like, get off my back. Here's who it was. Oh, shit. Uh, Did it ever like, did it ever come around? But people were mad. I think people thought my brother ratted out, but he really didn't. He really didn't. It was just my mom being crafty. And to be fair, your brother didn't rat anyone out but even if he did he would have been well within his rights to not take the blame for something that he had literally nothing to do with whatsoever like we rolled up and just saw a cartoonish car situation and then piles of broken wood everywhere and like cardboard with burn marks on it by that point shit just so so much i think the final bill if i remember was sixty eight hundred dollars in nineteen ninety five money? What? Which oh was a, it's still a significant amount of money. He was working that off for a long time, right? <gasps> for years, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Now, let's talk about the real relationship with nature when you grow up where we did. There's the Eagle Rock Reservation, and then more importantly, the South Mountain Reservation. The Eagle Rock. I think we'll start there because there's less to say. Um, there's Snake Road. Snake Road is an infamous feature uh, of the Eagle Rock Reservation. You can imagine what it's shaped like. It's a place where you go and make out with your high school girlfriend in a car or harass people who are making out in the cars if you don't have someone to make out with. Also, it is a well-known thing. It's like a dare to ride your bike down Snake Road. I've done it. Mike D., I see in the outline, you've done it. I I was referring to some to the there was a more adult version of riding your bike yeah, down Snake Hill, like which was ghost ghost riding your car down Snake Road, mm-hmm. pioneered by the neighborhood ninja. By the ninja, would, yeah. So, so one of the things was between our group of friends <clears throat> was putting your car in neutral at the top of Snake Road, which was basically a series of switchback roads down the side of a mountain, and then at the bottom it brought you into. Montclair. And once you hit this series of streets in Montclair, it was a straight run, like a just a straight road you could take all the way down, but you had to cover like you had to cross the street with like either a blinking red light or a stoplight. 
And the whole thing was how far could you make it down Snake Road, basically in your car in neutral, all the way into Montclair. And if you were really good, you could almost make it into like East Orange. So <clears throat> by the end of your senior year, you would start at the top of the hill and you're okay down. Like, you know, I, that's when I really started using the gears in my car, like to you know, put it into like D1 or D2 and you come around. But by the time you got to like the third, like switch back on the road, like you're going so fast that when you're coming around, you're just like, because you don't want to lose that speed when you get down to the straight roads so that you can make it as far as you can down into like, you know, Montclair or, and or East Orange. And I remember at one point, it's like, it's like the light's coming up and it's red. Like, what are we going to do? Just like, just keep going. Like, we got to keep this momentum going. But that was, yeah, that was a good pastime. I never did it on bike, though. I don't think I'd want to do it on bike. Living, because I lived in the neighborhood right below Eagle Rock Reservation, and it was a thing. You'd yeah. ride it down with your ride your bike down Snake Road, and it, it was pretty terrifying. Pretty terrifying. Wasn't there a night, my brother told me, wasn't there a night where you guys were like high-beaming cars of people were hooking up, and there was a car chase? Oh. Were either you guys there? Possibly. My brother was once in a car where they were like honking at at people who were hooking up up there and shining flashlights in their windows and stuff. And somebody flipped out and chased them all over that Montclair East Orange border. And like the fact that we grew up in that neighborhood, my brother was able to like say like make this turn, make that turn, make this turn, and and ditch the guys. So sadly, the amount of people who chased us for doing awful things to them have all blended together. So mm-hmm. I can't remember mm-hmm. that specific time. Mm-hmm. I think back in the day, like it wasn't abnormal. If you did, if you gave somebody the finger in traffic, especially if you were like a smart ass, like teenager driving, like that people would fucking chase you and confront you. Yeah. You know, I think that's maybe where we got it from was just like, Oh, you think you're going to fucking do that to me? And then they wind up in these crazy chases. Like nowadays, you, I mean, I guess people still do that, but they completely fly off the handle and kill somebody when they find them. It was more about just like, you know, one stupid. thing that I wonder if you guys know about, cause so the Eagle Rock reservation was there. And then across Eagle Rock Ave was crystal yeah. Lake next to the bowling alley kind of connect, you know, yeah. like just divided up by a road, but it's obviously the same woods. Did you know there was like a, a like a hobo living back there named Beer Can Billy? Did you guys know about Beer Can Billy over on your side of town? Only from you and Greg. Yeah. Were there still like structures up there at the old Crystal Lake from like back in the day? Yeah, there used to be like a, an old amusement park up there, and there were still some like foundations and shacks, and there was a guy who lived up there for years, and in our neighborhood. We used to walk up and people would try to spy on him. And there were a couple incidents where he threw like actual bottles at kids and like chased them out screaming out of the woods. And I remember I asked my dad once if he knew about him. And my dad was like, wait, that guy can't still be there, huh? And it turned out when my dad was a kid, there was another maniac who had built a tree platform in the Eagle Rock Reservation and lived in a tree house in the reservation. So there's Yeah, imagine back then it was like how much even more like kind of rural was I mean, there was a there's a big horseback riding uh thing going on those are all horse trails and then um i remember always coming out of the bowling alley especially in like the winter time the big thing was if when the when the lake would be frozen up there you take a bowling ball out yes it was so funny you'd look out onto the ice and there would <laughs> yes. be bowling balls all over there but i always remember looking across i guess that's crystal lake on the other side and i kind of remember almost kind of like still seeing those buildings, yeah. Yeah, like a few like structures left over there. And I remember talking to my parents about it because my dad grew up in West Orange too um, after they moved out of Newark. And he was like, yeah, Crystal Lake was like this big like resort back in the day. It was like, and even the history of 
you know, West Orange and people come out to West Orange, go to the country and that whole thing. But those are pretty cool, cool stuff. Now, Mike, I see you've listed the words serial killer under Eagle Rock Reservation. There was a serial killer there? Yeah. It was in the, the semi-recent past, right? In the last, like... I The last thing I remember from that is that they they found a, a suitcase up there with a disem, like, dismembered body. I thought that was the southbound. No, I thought that was up at Snake Road. Almost positive. No. Was it? There, so, I think that one... I think the body parts... This is the great town that we grew up in where there's only two <laughs> reservations and we're confused as to which one. So I think South Mountain Reservation was where they were finding dismembered body parts for a period of time. But there was there, there was a guy who was a serial killer that was basically like meeting and luring women up there and then and then killing them. And then I, be, I might be getting some of the facts wrong here, but I believe the fourth woman managed yeah. to escape him, and that is how he was caught. Oh, this was in 2019. It was recent, yeah. This was not when we were kids. This was in the in the recent past. Well, you know, like when you're going over there and you go by, you go by the lookout where you can see New York City. You go by the Highland Pavilion, and then when you start going down Snake Road, there would always be cars parked over there, and like you would think it would be a bad spot to like do anything, even like make out. Cause there's probably either County cops coming through there or town cops, but there would always be people there. So it's strange that they would, you know, I guess it was just normal. I've looked it up. Mike D. Yeah. There was a guy who used to, um, drug women. He used to pay women for sex and then drug them. And he left one of the bodies in the Eagle Rock reservation. Who knew it was a kid from orange. And then, yeah, I also Googled, uh, the South mountain reservation and yeah, a, uh, Four garbage bags full of human body parts were found in there. There you go. Yeah. I always heard that was the Russian mob, was what that was, but I don't know for sure. Mm. So yeah, both of our parks, our major county parks, bodies found in them. Not a shocking thing. The South Mountain Reservation, we do have to say, like all joking aside, that the Eagle Rock Reservation isn't a place where people hang out too much. But the South Mountain Reservation is like really beautiful and a destination for hikers and bikers, and it should be. Um, also a place where we were able to find a lot of trouble as teens. But I do want to say before we make any jokes, like South Mountain Reservation is no joke. You can get lost in there. It's an amazing place. Yeah. It's really cool if you're into nature. I mean, I used to come, I used to come out from the city with a bunch of the people from the climbing club to go climbing at South yeah, Mountain Reservation. Yeah, lots of boulders. Like, yeah, no, it's a legitimate, that's actual nature. Yeah. Unlike most of the other things that we're talking about. There is a uh, trail that leads to a waterfall. It's really beautiful. It was a place where, that was a place, at least when I was in high school, that a lot of us would just go walk out there. And sometimes at night, people would bring like a 30-pack out there. And I was once with my high school girlfriend there, uh, hooking up and we were like horny teenagers and we took things way too far and we were almost caught uh, completely naked by a family, by a family who was hiking by. It was like three in the afternoon. I don't know what the fuck we were thinking. We're probably this beautiful waterfall. Yeah, man. It got the uh, best of us. Yeah. It got the best of us. The scene. You know, it's, I have a good story about the waterfall is that when I was in Boy Scouts, one of our weekend like cleanup things was to go to the waterfall with garbage bags and take all the floating beer cans out. And we walked out of there once <laughs> with like four gigantic contractor bags of like beer cans that were just floating at the bottom. And we were 
were like out there with like sticks and like our scoutmasters were like, okay, yeah, that's right. We're wrangling all, there was so, somebody was had a party there the night before and there were so many beer cans floating there. It was like unbelievable. It was really, uh, Sorry. it was a really great place. I was also attacked by a dog there once. <laughs> that's another thing that happened there. Like a stray dog? No, I thought I was going to get killed by a stray dog. We were, we were up there. It was like, it had just gotten dark. So everybody who was in there was like hiking out, making their way out. And I was walking, there was like a parking area. Usually you wanted to pull into the parking area right off of that main road. Mount Pleasant. What was that South Mountain Ave? I forget what it was. South Orange Ave, which is like uh, South Orange the Ave. crazy turns. Yeah. So there was a little gravel area right up. But if you could, if there was no room there, there was a bridge and you could park yeah. the parking area, go over the bridge. I was walking over the bridge. I redid that bridge a couple of years ago, actually, which is funny. You did. Yeah, I have a weird connection to South Mountain Arena. And I got, I read, I was working with the company. We redid the entire road through the Estros all through Cherry. It was the craziest thing because I'm working there and the whole time I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. And that bridge, when they replaced it, because I've been over that bridge like a million times. We did this crazy precast bridge there, and it was just like a real pain in the balls. But working on that road, I got I was in the I was in the uh, South Orange part, or yeah, I guess it's South Orange or, or Maplewood. Um, and these people come to because they put Jersey barriers up, and they and the joggers couldn't get across the road. They had a special area where they had to go down to to cross the road to go onto those jogging trails. And these people would come to, who are you? I want your name. I can't get to where I'm going to jog, and I'm like. I'm just a server. Like, leave me alone. You know what I mean? It was like the craziest thing. Like, what's your name? I was like, Johnny Utah, Johnny Utah, Johnny Utah. I'm calling the County right now. I'm like, yeah, call the County right now and tell them the surveyor stopped you from crossing the road. All I said to this poor lady is, I was like, you're going to get fucking killed. If you try to run across South Orange Avenue right now, every it's like right at the top of the hill where everybody's coming up over the hill. And I'm there on the side of the road. And like, I, you know, I do it all the time, but like, you know, I know when it's dangerous, like I'm not going out there. And it's like, it's like, you can't stop me. I was like, I'm just trying to help you from being killed. You have to go down. You have to run down to the next opening in the Jersey barrier <laughs> and cross over to the trails there. I'm calling right now. I'm on my phone. I'm like, fucking call whoever you want. I was like, I'm just trying to fucking help you. And it was, that happened like four or five times I was working on that job. So you know how that road is coming through there? It's like crazy S turns and you're on this crazy, like, um, crazy slope coming through the whole area there and it is just fucking dangerous and they can't close the road off so half the road's open half the road's closed and i'm out there like just stationing the road doing retaining walls and then that fucking precast bridge was like a nightmare and it's like it's a horse bridge so like they put this like super fancy like awesome like if you go there now and you go through south mountain reservation and you get to this bridge. It's fucking cool. Like it's a nice, it's a nice precast bridge. But like the money they fucking spent to redo that whole area driving through there was insane. So the whole time I'm there, I'm having like these flashbacks of my youth. We did everything from Boy Scouts there, you know, to drinking to you know whatever else. But it was always it's one of those places in West Orange. But that was that was definitely very very naturey. Self entitled jogging is the number one killer of people in South Orange and Maplewood. <laughs> I believe it. People's got a fucking survey rod stuck to their neck. Now there's another section of uh of the South Mountain Reservation that's near and dear to uh many West Orange kids' hearts. This is the section off of Northfield Avenue known as Mayapple Hill. Oh god. This was a site where it's it's fair to say a lot of high school mayhem uh, involved 
a stop in Mayapaha at some point. Um, I don't even know what to start with. I, I mean, on this, sh- I, I, I believe it was in an episode that's already aired. We mentioned Hamhock, the notorious county cop, who is a real thorn in the side of many of youth. He was known to patrol Mayapple Hill. Now you had to set this up because you have to understand Mayapple Hill is a county park. So the West Orange police do not patrol the county park. And the county park only gets patrolled after 10 o'clock when it closes down. <laughs> so therefore, it is this weird void in West Orange where you can go and do whatever you want. And the West Orange cops aren't going to come up and bother you. But you got to know that at 10 o'clock, you fucking either better be out of there or have nothing out or being stupid at 10 o'clock. Because on the fucking dot, those motherfuckers roll up. And they come through there. And if you are there, you are target number one. And you are going to go through, you know, you're going to go through the fucking, the uh, the role of being tortured by a county cop and all that involves that. And if you don't know how to handle yourself in that situation, you are going to get fucked with majorly and possibly end up down in Newark for the night. What made Hamhawk such a hard ass? Is intimidating. He was terrifying. I mean, he was a like he's a guy that like he was a giant man. When we were kids, like a cop could pull you out of the car. It didn't matter if you were black or white. If you were white, there was a good chance that like if he wanted to, he could beat you to a fucking bloody mess and get away with it a hundred percent. And then you're gonna get locked up on top of it. You know what I mean? So like there was a huge intimidation factor. Number one, you didn't want to get your ass beat. Number two, you didn't want to get fucking locked up. And go down to county for the night. So there's a lot of like terror. But besides that, like it was a haven for every different type of kid in West Orange. Yeah, there were gang fights there. There was I, I know when I was there, I think you guys had left the quarterback of our high school football team, got hit in the head with a hammer up there. Yeah. Like, things would go down up there. Um, it was also notorious. Your guys' grade, I think, really was in the thick of this. There was a stretch where it became really big for scavenger hunts to happen in West Orange and fleets of cars. There'd be like 20 car loads of kids driving all over our area at night. And from what I remember, they started innocently enough, but every time there was a scavenger hunt, it was kind of topping. Now you have to get something more and more insane to the point where it was just criminal activity. It was just actually breaking and entering uh, petty larceny. It went from like, Oh, can you like get ball pit, get balls out of the Burger King ball pit until it was like, can you steal this giant, very specific ornate mailbox that's cast iron and clearly cost this family $8,000. Can you steal that? Cause that's what you get a lot of points for that. I remember there was one where it was, can you get the yak out of the turtle back zoo? And people went and tried, people tried to steal a yak, like a Himalayan bison. People went and tried to get the yak. Well, the easier one would be to go into the Eagle Rock Diner and steal a menu immediately upon going in and running back out the door. That was like normal. Like that's <laughs> that's simple enough. Uh, but the point being, May Apple Hill was the traditional spot where you'd all meet at the uh, at the time that usually midnight, I'd imagine, and uh, you'd go over what you got. So many a Sunday morning. Mayapple Hill would Hamhock. It, it would Hamhock would be picking through just endless piles of tennis court nets, insane garbage. I mean, one of the funniest things that I've ever seen in my life happened at Mayapple Hill in the parking lot. That was a so right. It was a place where kids used to hang out, and it was also a place where you could go and smoke weed with 
some freedom, right? Because it's not like it was now, you know, where people are fairly accepting of pot smoking. In the in the 90s, this was like a much, you know, even random random do-gooders would call the police on you if they smelled weed. And so if you went up to Maple Hill, because like Nick said, it was it was a county park. The police were only there like once or twice a night. So so people would go up there. So one time we're up there and we park our car. We go off into the woods, do whatever we're going to do. And then we come back to the to the car and we see that there's a county cop there. And we're walking <laughs> over the car. And he's like, hey, is this your car? And we're like, oh, man, we're all like, you know, paranoid and crazy. And we're like, my buddy's like, yeah, that's our car. He's like, I think you got a flat tire. I'm like, really? We, oh, we drove in with no problem. He's like, yeah, look. And so he points over at the car and sure enough, the, the right front tire is flat on the car. And we're like, oh man. And so he's like, yeah, I'll help you out. Let me see, you know, you, you got a spare or something. Let me take a look. So Hamhock, in one of his nice, only nice interactions, he bends down. He's examining the tire, and he looks over at us. He goes, "You're not going to believe this." And we're like, "What?" He's like, "No, you're really not going to believe this." So he reaches into the tire and he pulls out an object, which is a bat. And I think many people know a bat is a small <laughs> aluminum tube, which is painted to be disguised as a cigarette, also known as a one hitter. He's like, this thing was sticking out of your tire. He's like, do you know what this is? And we're like, no, I've never seen one of these things before. What, what is this? He's like, he's like, oh, this is something that, that a lot of kids use to, to smoke marijuana when they don't want people to know what they're doing. So he takes the bat and he flings it into the woods. But so literally we had run over our own one hitter, which had given the car a flat tire, which the cop found and pulled out of the flat tire and then helped us change the tire. <laughs> And that was the one time that Ham Hawk was a good guy, but we had, actually it was it was the same it was the same guy from the Degnan Field incident in the same car. Not surprising at all. Now, before we uh, before we move on to the broader New Jersey uh, stories of the great outdoors, I do have to say, Mike, you specifically noted that the origin story of your friendship with Nick woods. unfolded in an area you called the woods. True, right? That's how we met. Like, Mike D just shows up at my door with another kid that I went to school with that I wasn't really super friendly with, but like definitely friendly with at the time because we were really younger, different neighborhoods. He's like, hey, this is my buddy Mike D just moved into the neighborhood. And like back then they used to have these lists for um, people in town that like, if you move somewhere, like they had kids and they would like tell you, I guess to like improve like community relations or whatever like that. They used to also have a list for like if those parents' homes had alcohol in them too. So, uh, you know, that was just a time period of whatever. So anyway, so Mike D appears at my house like in the middle of like July and we're like a bunch of, I think we're like 11 or 12 years old. We're going into sixth grade. So we, we, I was like, well, like, oh, you guys want to hang out? We're like, yeah, all right, no problem. Like, well, Mike D's like, well, what do you do around here? I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's like, we go to this place called like the woods and uh, we just like kind of go up there. And like, when you get in there, like we climb up to these cliffs and like, you can see 280 and then we like throw stuff off top of the cliffs at like cars going by. <laughs> so like, oh, that's cool. Like, all right, let's go do that. <laughs> so I take Mike D and his brother and, and our other friends into the woods and like, 
I take them on this like crazy adventure. Like normally we stay out of the woods in like the summertime because it's too like kind of overgrown and stuff like that. Lots of poison ivy, whatever. Basically, you run through somebody's yard. You're in like this strip of like, now that I know it's probably like maybe 10 acres of land, but it's on a very steep incline. And like when you climb all the way to the top of it, it brings you out to like being at the top of these iconic cliffs that you drive through a blasted mountain. If you're ever on 280 in West Orange, like it's one of the two giant cuts in the mountain. And from up there, you can see New York City. You can see all of 280 northbound, you know, east and westbound traffic. And uh, and it's just like a weird place that when you're a kid, I guess you explore. But there was trees and there was uh, a thing that we thought was a stream, but it really was like we were talking about earlier, just a storm runoff <laughs> that ran down to like, you know, the bottom of a giant pit somewhere and ran under the parkway. But yeah, I took them on like we referred to it as a thing. Your brother was obsessed with it being a Goonie adventure. So for like a couple of kids from like Newark that moved out to like West Orange, I took them out like on like a fairly like treacherous like trek through the woods. I couldn't even walk up and down hills at that point. (laughs) This is like rough. And within like two minutes of meeting you, I'm out in the middle of like the woods. And I had never, you know, like the wildest animal I'd seen was like a squirrel. And this is like uh, prime Nikki Bonaduce, like very pro-military, you know. Uh, 80s uh, Red Dawn kind of kid like so I am like in Boy Scouts running through the woods regularly and you know like to light a lot of things on fire so that's where I was coming from and then I meet Mike D (laughs) and then we proceeded to uh, become best friends and do that for until we moved away as adults we we basically spent every minute back there and we might we might still do it again soon so that's good (laughs) That's true. We might go back there to revisit. Why am I reading the words on this outline? The neighborhood ninja climbs with hot chocolate. So Nick, like Nick was saying, we're going to talk about this at some other point, but we were all real Cold War kids. Wolverines! What that means is... Avenge me! Yeah, we were obsessed with fighting. We thought Russians were going to drop into our neighborhood at any moment and attack us. We thought that we would be nuked at any second. Any moment. Any second. I mean, that's (laughs) not like I'm saying it laughing, but really, I mean, I grew up thinking that we would be nuked at any minute of any day. Oh, my third grade teacher told us that if a, a nuclear bomb hit New York City, that we would get minimum third degree burns in West Orange. Told third graders that. Yeah. No, I was third always in the impression we'd be like gone in like the flash. So that's kind of reassuring. I wish. I wish. No, he made it clear of like, no, some of us might surprise. We'll just be uh, like mangled, deformed wrecks of human beings. Be like Skeletor. Oh, I'm Skeletor. Yeah, well, I'll just be a bunch of Skeletors running around on the side of the mountain. So anyway, Mike, <laughs> so you were saying. Because of this Cold War mentality that we had, and we were always obsessed with making sure that whatever we did, we had weapons and equipment and food. So when we were exploring the woods, we would always be well-equipped. And so one of the things we used to do, which is very <laughs> foolish looking back, is we used to climb up and down the cliffs of 280 with no equipment. I mean, we were just children, and we would scale up and down these. And so we, we would do it in the winter, and the neighborhood ninja would always bring a thermos of hot chocolate because he's like, oh, it's really cold. I want to have some hot chocolate while we scale up and down this cliff. So one time we're scaling up and down the cliff, and we're about – a third of the way down. So what, Nick? Probably at that point, you're like still 50, 60 feet oh, it's, off the ground. I'm telling you that like 
now knowing what I know, like <clears throat> at one point, I believe those cliffs are probably like over two, 200 feet high. And probably the area we were at was probably around like 150 feet. Um, so yeah. Unquestionable death. If you fall. Oh yeah. Oh, you're 100%. definitely going to like tumble to your death. Like, and into like a pile of like, there was all the rocks that would normally fall off of this side of mountain, which has always been a problem along 280 there. If you're ever driving through 280 um, until they did all the stuff that they did to that rock face, you would commonly see like large pieces of a stone in like the shoulder. <laughs> of the road and sometimes people would hit it like the slow lane right so this rock the way the rock is like um if you put your foot on the wrong piece it's just gonna break away it's just like erosion you know what i mean that just like it fractures the kind of stone that's in our area in a certain way that like most of it's secure but you never know when you take a step it just it and it breaks in like a sheet you know like a, a very fine like line <clears throat> so it was definitely not like a good thing for sure and and also from our side of town, as you're climbing up and down, you stare directly into the fancy homes, backyards, and pools of Llewellyn Park as you're about to lose your life going right. up and down this cliff. Right. So we we've done this, you know, a few times before. So we're climbing down the cliff, and then all of a sudden we hear like, ah, 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 and the neighborhood ninja is screaming. And we're like, oh my God, what happened? What happened? He's like, my hot chocolate broke. My thermos broke. <laughs> and we can see he's like above us on the cliff climbing down and we're climbing below him. And his entire sweatpants are covered in burning hot, <laughs> hot chocolate. So he's clearly being like scalded. But the thing is, we're all clinging to this cliff on the side of 280. So there's nothing we can do. I mean, the only choices are continue to have your nether regions burned by burning hot chocolate and climb down or die. Yeah. And so, all of us, I mean, I felt really bad at the time. I still feel bad. This is smart we, enough to hold on. We, he's just like, what am I going to do? I was like, you just have to climb down as fast as you can. So we're all like climbing down. <laughs> and basically he had to climb down the cliff with like burning hot, hot chocolate and broken glass from his thermos, like soaking his sweatpants. My thermos is used to be glass. <laughs> and he gets to the bottom and he's like fairly severely injured. I mean, he's like, you know, burned. And we have to like bring him back to his parents and like we're trying to explain to his parents what happened and they're they're like brains you can see like twisting we're like our son was climbing down a cliff on the side of 280 with a thermos of hot chocolate and somehow managed to burn himself like in the middle of winter we are so lucky that <laughs> he survived none yeah. of us are dead angels i honestly don't understand how there's not at least one or two stories from our generation of kids who died doing shit that stupid. I, I can't think of too many. Darwinism, that's why. We're survivors. Yeah, it's it's really wild. Natural selection here, um, right here. Now, I do feel like we need to move on to the uh, the broader New Jersey stuff. I think we've given a sense. You basically rampage around the South Mountain <laughs> Reservation. You drink there. You have sex there. You <laughs> go to the Eagle Rock Reservation to torment people having sex and drive your car down a, a snake-shaped road. While yelling, my chain popped. My chain popped. <laughs> my chain popped. Uh, I think the uh, relationship between West Orange kids and nature is well-established, but obviously we grow older, we get wiser, we move on, we experience nature on a different level. We spread our wings and fly. I know I've got a couple stories. Shit. I know, uh, Mike, do you've listed some. And, and Nick, I know that you are an outdoorsman in a big way. Uh, Mike, why don't we start? I want to know about high rocks. I don't think you've told me this story before. So high rocks is a, 
It's also called Ralph Stover. It's a, I don't know, I think it's a state park, and it's right on the New Jersey border, um, <clears throat> down by the Delaware Water Gap. And there was a number of years where I was very, very into rock climbing. Um, and so I used to go with a bunch of people that a couple of guys that, that we all know, and we would go rock climbing down at, at Ralph Stover. And so the way it is, is you're, when you climb there, a lot of the climbs, you're basically in the riverbed, what used to be the riverbed. It's dry now. And there's all these cliffs, um, going up and all along the cliffs running up and down, there's different climbs, you know, and they have names and ratings and, you know, you pick the ones you want to do. So we were there and we're, we're climbing for, you know, half the day and we're kind of finishing up. So we're at the, we're at the bottom of the, you know, the thing we're just hanging out, wrapping up for the day. And someone pulls out a joint and starts, starts smoking a joint. And I'm looking around, I'm like, and I say to my buddies, I'm like, oh, that's really weird. Look up there. They're like, what? I'm like, oh, there's somebody up there with binoculars looking at us. I'm like, oh, really? And my friend's like, oh, I don't think that's somebody. I, I think that's, that's a ranger. And so now he sees that we see him and he gets on a bullhorn and says, don't go anywhere. I'm coming down there. It's going to take me a few minutes to drive down, but don't leave. So as soon as he walks away from the cliff, the first thing we do, of course, is grab our stuff (laughs) and bolt. And as we're bolting into the woods, other rangers start coming out from down at the riverbed where we are and they're chasing us. I guess there's about five or five or six of us and we're running through the woods. And I have again, like I have no idea where we are in general relation to the world. We're running through the woods. These rangers are chasing us. One of them is on a quad, and he's riding. So we figure the, the, the deeper we run into the woods, the, the, the better it will get. So we're running, and after we're running for like 10 or 15 minutes, I mean, these guys are still not giving up. The guy on the quad has to give up because he can't get through the thick woods. Two of the guys are like, this is dumb. We're never going to get away. We're just going to face the music. I'm like, yeah, all right, you can face the music, but I'm still running. So those two guys stop, and I just keep running, and it's an hour, two hours. At this point, I obviously can't see the Rangers. I don't know if they're they're chasing me anymore. I have no idea where I am. I'm by myself, and I'm wandering around for hours. It's starting to get dark. I have nothing but, like, rock climbing shoes and, like, a half-drank bottle of water. <laughs> those are the only two things that I have. Like, I don't even have real shoes. And I'm walking through this, and I'm wandering around, and it gets dark. And finally, I'm like, I see a road, and I'm like, okay, at this point, it's been four or five hours. They've obviously caught my friends or given up, uh, you know, so I'll just walk out to the road. I walk out to the road, and I'm walking along the road. I'm like, well, sooner or later, I'll come into some kind of civilization, or I'll see a car. They can give me a, a ride. This is very much pre, pre-cell phone world. And I'm like, I hear a car coming, and I'm like, oh, great. Like, I'll just flag this person down, give them a sob story. They can drive me to a gas station or something. So the car comes driving down the road, and it's a ranger truck with the same ranger who is chasing us in it. And I'm like, oh, man. So, like, I go running back into the woods, and he clearly sees me, and he stops the car, but he doesn't chase me. Because I imagine at this point I'm, like, bloody from, like, running through brambles. You know, he's been chasing me for hours. He probably wants to get off his shift as much as I do. <laughs> so, like, I just run back, and I end up, like, sitting in the woods until it's the middle of the night. 
I walk out into the woods and then I have to like walk miles and miles to like a seven eleven that I finally found and I call a payphone and I finally managed to like get one of my friends that I was with on the phone and they're like, Oh, so and so and so and so they got arrested by the Rangers, but we managed to escape and we'll come and get you. So a few hours later they come and get me. But I spent probably twelve hours in the woods evading park rangers, all for the sin of someone else lighting a joint down there. Absolutely foolish, and what an epic tale. Um, it reminds me, I have, I have one here. I, I'm so glad, because when you first said, let's do the great outdoors, I said, you know, I, I have very, I'm not really an outdoorsman at all, never have been. I, I said, I'll probably just be there moderating for you and Nick, but it did remind me of a story, which of course involves your brother, who it has been mentioned many times in this show, fashioned himself. Clearly the movie The Goonies left a huge impression on your brother about like, let's go on adventures and discover things. Formed our whole life. And yeah. when we were at Rutgers, your brother didn't go to Rutgers, but he lived there in the summers and would crash a lot and hang out and party a lot. And there was a summer, well, what year would it have been? It would have been my junior year. So you would have been already moved out, Mike D. I don't think you were around for this. And Franny was crashing with me during the summer. And we realized that, you know, there's the Raritan River that runs through New Brunswick. And then alongside it, uh, when you go all the way up Easton Ave, is the Delaware and Raritan Canal. This is an old canal that connects the Raritan River and the Delaware River. And it's really nice. And it's kind of hidden. Like, you wouldn't necessarily see it from the road if you didn't know that it was there and to look for it. And people will go canoeing in it and hiking in it, but more down in like the Princeton, more in like the Delaware area um, versus like the Raritan river area. But we realized it was there. We were like, well, we should go like paddling down the Delaware and Raritan canal. And the way we chose to fucking do this <laughs> still boggles my mind. I went to like a fucking mall, like the Menlo Park Mall or the Woodbridge Mall. I went to the KB Toy Store and bought an inflatable raft for children. Like off the shelf of a fucking toy store. And Fran and I were both... It was like a raft or a boat. It was a little raft. It was like one of those little yellow and blue rafts. Yeah, a two-man yellow and blue raft. Did it have a... Did it have a... Or? It, well, we'll get to that. It... Keep in mind, though, like, I'm 21, friends, 22. We bought this at a toy store in a mall. This is for children. This is for children. So we inflate it. It has two oars. And we decide to start this raft down the fucking canal at, like, 9.30 p.m. Like, it's already dark out. We haven't scouted the area. We haven't walked along it. I don't know anything about it. All we brought was, like, a... We brought like a couple cans of soda, like a medium-sized bottle of water, and a bag of smart food cheddar popcorn. I never forgot that. That's all we brought. <laughs> My roommate, Butch, he drove us uh, all the way up East Ave to um, right by where you can get on 287. And we jumped out there because there was like a little lock for the, the canal, you know, so we were able to jump down there. We get the raft. We're getting in it. We're men, and we're like squeezing into this thing as soon as we go to take the first paddle one of the oars breaks in half just completely breaks in half 
And I'll never forget. We were like, oh, shit. Oh, no, 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 no. And I jumped out, got all wet, and scrambled back up to Easton Ave. And my buddy Butch, I just saw his taillights going to the darkness. No. I was just like, Butch, Butch, no, 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 no. <gasps> Gone. And again, pre-cell phone era. Couldn't call him. Franny and I, with one fucking oar, made our way down that canal in the middle of the night. And a few things you have to realize. Where the hell did you wind up? Dude, first of all, it's like pitch black. <laughs> that canal for stretches of it is like basically going through rich people's backyards. So we're like, oh my God. Like there's like estates along there that like have a water view of this fucking canal. So we're going to get arrested. I never did anything like this. So Fran was in the back. I was up front. So every time I had the oar and had to paddle... He'd just the whole night be like, you're fucking splashing. Oh, shit, I swallowed water. You fucking asshole. Put the oar all the way in the fucking water. So then he got mad at me, and he's like, I'll just do it all. So he was, like, dead tired. And then the scariest part, man. I mean, we ate all the popcorn, drank all the water and soda. Out there for, I'm not kidding, three hours, four hours? Where'd you wind up? Listen to this, dude. So we're there all night long. And we hear this like rushing water. We're like, all right, we must be getting close to where the canal meets the river. Oh my God. A couple minutes after we hear that, all of a sudden, Fran goes, thank God he has better eyesight than I do. He goes, what the fuck is that, man? I go, what? He goes, there's bats shooting out of the water. <laughs> He's like, do you see that? There's fucking bats shooting out of the canal. Are there like underwater bats here or something? What the fuck? <laughs> We're looking at it. And they're like, something's wrong here. And then all of a sudden he goes, get to the fucking side, paddle the side, paddle the side, get out, get out, get out. We realize we're such idiots. We didn't check how these two bodies of water connected. The canal didn't just like run seamlessly into the river. It had like a, Nick, you would know what it's called better than I do. Like a giant cement cylinder Ooh. that the water basically hit and went like, a, like I don't know if that's a yeah, culvert. Maybe like a culvert just went straight down. Oh my gosh. That's terrifying. Dude. It was like 12.30 at night, pitch black. And if Fran didn't see bats flying out of this fucking culvert, we would have just, with no notice, plummeted. And, I mean, definite serious injury for, <laughs> for both of us and perhaps even death. And then the, the you what know. What if it's like a I known mean, thing? That's crazy. I mean, they figure people kayak on that thing, right? Yeah, but you don't really see people in the New Brunswick area. I know in, I know that when you get down more towards the, the yeah. other end of it, it's yeah. like a, it's, because it is, I think it's a certified state park. That's crazy. But then I'll never forget the fucking shame, you guys, of like, at this point, we get out, we're dead tired. So we're like just sitting around for a while, catching our fucking breath. And then the shame of walking through New Brunswick because I lived all the way at Somerset and Plum. <laughs> and you get out and you're in that park there up behind the library, you know? Oh my God, that's a long... So that's a long fucking walk through town. And we're carrying this fucking inflated oh, children's just, raft. I can't believe you didn't ditch it. Oh my God, we're getting fucking mocked, jeered. And then finally, I forget which house it was. Finally, some guys were like, the fuck are you doing with that fucking raft, you pussies? And one of us was like, actually, we just spent three and a half fucking hours rowing down the fucking canal, dickhead. So we're tired. Fuck you. He's like, really? You guys earned a beer. So we just went and drank beers with these guys on their porch. Their dumb raft. You know what? That was <laughs> a stupid move. You know what's funny, though, is that's 
as listeners of this podcast may know, that's not the first time my brother has been involved in a dangerous inflatable raft expedition that ended in disaster. Like I got a great idea. I've done this before. It was so stupid, though. I feel like if you ask, you wouldn't even need to ask someone who's like an outdoors person. Who You wouldn't even have to ask somebody who's like an avid canoer or kayaker, what's the best way to plan a trip down the DNR Canal? You could ask like a fucking 10 year old child. You could ask a magic eight ball. Yeah. Like, hey, should we, uh, should we just inflate a toy and leave in darkness? Uh, yeah. Signs point to know you fucking morons. Like it was, it was stupid, man. It was stupid. That's weird. I had a brief stint of working on the DNR canal, um, in the Princeton area. And it was just, it's beautiful. Yeah. No, it's super beautiful. And there's great trails down there. And it's like beautiful. Um, depending on what time of year in certain areas. But anyway, interesting fact is that like uh, the town we were working in over there, I can't remember the town of it. Um, they get their drinking water from the DNR canal. So they were going in there and they just, this is like in the past few years, went and like redredged that canal. And there was like this special company from like, um, they're like a dredge company um, from like Michigan or something like that. And they went in there and they had these special like things and they redredged it. But part of, the thing because it's such a historic area that when they're going through there, anytime they run onto like a foundation of an old like mill or whatever it might have been, um, because there was all this like you know industry around it based on like trade and stuff like that and shipping materials from here and there and across the state of New Jersey. Um, it was so crazy, but yeah, I got to spend some time working on DNR and it is a beautiful, it's like so different than I almost think I know the section you're talking about near New Brunswick, but. Uh, it's a very different, but I couldn't imagine anytime, anytime those canals run into like a major uh, thing of water, but that's terrifying, man. Absolutely. Yeah. It's but, like, yeah. we, we could have taken, we could have driven to the end first and taken 45 seconds to realize how dangerous it was. It was a truly bad idea, a truly bad idea. Now, Mike D I'm seeing something about aliens here that feels like a story that I need to know. Well, this was a well-known story. During the during the New Brunswick era, uh, a good friend of ours had a a Volkswagen microbus from the '60s, which was was very fancy and had all the the camping accoutrements built into it. So it had the pop top and the little kitchen and the beds. So we used to take this, uh, you know, take this bus around and go camping at different places in New Jersey. So one night, a couple of us decided to to take this bus camping somewhere in in Monmouth County that was near Monmouth College. And actually, to for for complete transparency, the original purpose of the mission was we were going to go to the college and sneak into the little orphan Annie house. So on the college campus is the house. Yeah, you know, you know the movie, the old version of Annie, the one from when we were kids in the eighties. What? With the little orphan Annie house is on the campus of Monmouth College. Yeah, so Daddy Warbuck's house is is a building, a house that's on Monmouth College, and it has like a whole history of it. And if you talk to people who went to school there, a lot of them like it used to be a thing that kids would sneak into. So our our friend that we were with for a period of time went there, and he's like, "Oh, I know how to sneak into the house." So we drive over there, and a bunch of us, I don't know what we, like, what were we going to do? Like, reenact, like, Orphan, like, the Annie movie when we got there? Like, I'm not really sure we were going to break out into song. <laughs> but anyway, that, so that, that was the idea. And so 
we go to the house and we go to like this basement window where my friend says he's, he's gone and snuck in there before. And we get there and within two seconds, we see that they've clearly added an extremely sophisticated alarm system to this place. You can see the <laughs> lights and motion detectors. So we're like, all right, like this is not, not going to be as fun as we thought. We'll have to save this thing along for somewhere else. So he's like, oh, that's cool. I know, I know another place out by, by the shore where you can camp out in the woods. It's great. So we drive over to this place, and it's kind of – I have no idea where this is now. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to find it, but it's somewhere in Monmouth County near the ocean. So we drive out to this place. There's woods. There's the ocean. It's really pretty. We're in this place. We pop the top on the camper. We're, we're hanging out and you know doing whatever people do on nights like this, and a really, really bad storm rolls in, like thunder, lightning, <laughs> The entire van starts like shaking. We're like, I don't know. This like doesn't feel really safe to be here. And it's like, well, it feels even less safe to drive. So we all sit there and my one friend starts saying like, I see something really weird in the clouds. Like, what do you see? It's a storm. And he's like, no, 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 really look. And he keeps like pointing up. He's like, I swear I see something like a flying saucer. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, this is, you know, shenanigans. Like, you're just out of your gourd. He's like, no, 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 really. And so, like, the four of us are in this van, and we're looking out the window, and he keeps pointing to this flying saucer that none of us can see, or at least I can't see. And I'm like, all right, great. So the storm is, like, raging. We're figuring out what to do. So we look down the beach, and we see something on the beach moving towards us. Like, you can't really tell what it is, but it's, like, coming closer and closer. And it's not a person, but it's moving, like, very slowly across the beach. So we're all staring at this thing. We're staring up at the sky at the flying saucer that I can't see. And this thing gets closer and closer and closer. And as we, as it gets near us, we can see that it's, like, something very large and very round rolling down the beach. So it gets to the point where it's right in front of us. And... We can't see what it is, but we can see maybe like 40 feet in front of the van on the beach. There's this round object and it's just stopped there. I'm like, that's really weird. My friend's like, we have to see what it is. It's got to be something really important. And I'm like, all right, let's go see what it is. So my buddy and I, we leave our, our two friends in the van and we run out through this rainstorm onto the beach and there's thunder and lightning and like the waves are pounding and it's pitch black. We can't see anything, just a shadow. So we run up to this object on the beach and we see that it is an extremely large three foot diameter giant rubber ball. <sighs> and on the, on this rubber ball on both sides is stenciled and spray painted an alien face. Oh my God. Literally <laughs> like, it, like, you know, like the, the traditional sort of like, take me to your yeah, leader yeah, like, alien uh, face is spray painted on both sides. So we pick this thing up, this ball, it's giant. It's like bigger than a yoga ball. And we run back to the van and we show it with our two friends that we're with. And one of them, she says, well, clearly this is like a sign, like you really did see a UFO and this is their way of communicating with us in a way that we can understand. And so we had this ball and my, my friend to this day still has this beach ball, this alien painted face beach ball in his garage, which I've seen in the recent past. Oh, so this man. 
The theory is that the flying saucer was dropping giant rubber balls with alien faces painted on them from the sky. Well, they were just trying to let you know that you weren't seeing things, that you were one of the select fews that had a, an experience. And we were sending this beach ball to you with a gray on it. Yes. To let you know no, that. That's kind of what... what, what your, your experience has been affirmed. Yes. That we couldn't quite grasp seeing the actual flying saucer, so they sent wow. us something we could understand. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. <laughs> well, everybody knows that uh, for all of the beautiful outdoor sites New Jersey has to offer, a lot of people do associate them with strangeness, with weirdness, with creepiness at times. Uh, Mike, I think that story is a perfect segue to the Pine Barrens, which is unquestionably one of the most beautiful areas of the state, one of the most unique places on the planet, ecologically, also a place full of stories of fucked up things and myths and people. Um, I know I have spent very little time in the Pine Barrens. For for someone who's such a Jersey guy as I am, it's a priority of mine now that I move back to spend more time there. My, My wife loves hiking and camping and everything. So we have to get down there more, but I'll never forget one time in college, maybe shortly after college, I'd been working at weird New Jersey for a while and we'd gotten a story about this town within the pines. I think it's part of Lacey township, which is like Mm -hmm. solidly in the pine barrens. If I remember right, Nick, you would know better than I would, but yeah, I lived in the town South of there, where town. So there's a section of it called Bamber lakes in Lacey township. And we had just heard, oh, it's kind of weird, weird New Jersey. We got a letter or something. You might want to check it out. I remember driving down there and we turned down a bunch of these more roads that were more trails, like we're off-roading a little bit. And I'll never forget screeching to a halt. We're driving at night and the high beams are on and the road was just blocked with these garbage bags placed like evenly distanced apart, like a, a barrier that was intentionally set up. And we just had that quiet moment of truth where my buddy was in the car with me was like, should we go, should we go open those? And it was just like, yeah, no, fuck no. Like either this is a trap where someone's waiting for us to get out to see this so they can get us, or we're going to find something in there that we do not want to see. And I feel like that's pretty on target for the type of scary shit you expect to see if you go looking for trouble in the Pine Barrens. I mean, you've also been... I've spent a lot of time in the Pine Barrens, not as much as Nick, but a decent chunk. But you've been to one place, Chris, which I have never been to when I've tried to find that it failed, which is the Blue Hole. Yeah, I've still never been there either. We should make it explicit. We still have to, aren't, don't we have to like boil hot dogs and water from the Blue Hole or something and eat them? That is, I thought that was the Passaic River. At some point, we said something horrible. And we got to go back and review all those. For anybody listening, we're going to do all these things when the pandemic lifts. Believe me, you're going to start seeing evidence that these things are happening. I will I will eat a, a hot dog boiled in water from the Blue Hole before I'll eat a hot dog boiled in water from the Passaic. Oh, absolutely, undoubtedly. So for anybody listening who doesn't know, the Blue Hole is this kind of uh, legendary place where pretty deep within the Pine Barrens, there's there's this body of water that's kind of a strange shade of blue, which is not like a lot of the Pine Barrens. Actually, a lot of the water in the Pine Barrens, strangely enough, runs red because there's so many cedar trees and the roots there. There's a lot of like red water yeah, and stunted cedar water. short pine trees. And it's a really strange- Iron ore. Yeah. All, naturally occurring iron ore. Yeah. Famous in Batstow Village. Lots of bogs and, and, and it's just strange. And- 
Yeah. When I was working at Weird New Jersey, we found that out where the blue hole was. Not only did I go to the blue hole, it, so it's this weird blue body of water. It's ice cold no matter what time of year. And people say that it's bottomless. And there's stories that the uh, Jersey Devil lives in the in the Blue Hole. That is a story that you'll hear. Is people will say that's where the Jersey Devil retreats to it's tired. when he's not out running amok amongst the citizens of South Jersey. And we took a canoe. We actually took a canoe with us, and we rode it out into the middle of the Blue Hole, and we had a weight on a string so we could see if it was bottomless. And uh, I remember it went pretty far down. I remember it went pretty far down. And there was a plan. I think my bosses later, after I wasn't working there anymore, I think they did hire scuba divers to go into uh. down under it into the blue hole. But I forget what they found. But yeah, I've been to the blue hole, and that's uh, that's one of the many many strange things you'll find within the Pine Barrens. I think because the aquifer is so um, close to the surface there, it's like one of the big um, aquifers under the state of New Jersey. Even down near me, like the old quarries. Um, would have these big open ditches that would be filled with like cl- crystal clear like water. Once Nick and I were camping in the Pine Barrens and we stumbled upon an artsy pottery studio. <laughs> oh, no, I think that, that one's in, uh, is that Peter, Peter's Valley or is that the other one? I thought we, we, we were camping in the Pine Barrens and we somehow were like wandering around. We're like, oh, what's this? We're like, Oh wait, it's like a pottery studio. Like, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, we, we did. That, that was two, on two separate occasions. But yeah, that was like a weird that that whole Batstow area, and like uh, when you get into the cranberry box and all that over there, that's a whole different world. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I think there's a famous memorial down there for a crash plane for a pilot. I've heard. Yeah, Emil, I believe his name is. What's his name? Emilio Carranza is his name. Let's file that and remember it, please. We will not explain what this is a reference to to anyone listening. Emilio Carranza is his name. Yeah, he was like a Mexican pilot who crashed, and there's a memorial to him in the. I've never seen it, but I, my understanding is it's in the middle of I heard, nowhere. Yeah, I heard his uh, great grandchild runs a taco stand there now. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. You can only go. It's like uh, the first two weeks in August. You go down there, and there's like a little set up down there and you buy tacos they need to do a better job i would say it's filled with bullet holes a lot of bullet holes to fill every year it's wild but you know what everything in south jersey is filled with bullet holes like even when i worked on that parkway exit that sign i sent you like the other day that was right off the parkway and the the sign for the northbound was completely riddled with bullet holes (laughs) because people hate north jersey down there they're sending a message so you guys have spent a lot of time in the pine barrens explain it to me because you can go set up a campsite and there's i mean it's huge i mean there's thousands and thousands and thousands probably hundreds of thousands of acres of land that the pine barrens make up right if you want to find a place to camp i mean there's dozens and dozens of of places that you can get a permit to camp down there. And they're so big and so far apart. I mean, you're, you're, even I can drive from where I live in East Jersey to the Northern end of the Pine Barrens in 10 minutes. And it's officially the Pine Barrens, but then you could also go right, Nick, even way further South than you are. And you're still in the Pine Barrens. I mean, it's massive. Yeah, it's like a weird, it's a weird area. And then it like, it borders all this like crazy farmland too, <clears throat> like Burlington County. And there's these, I mean, I think we're still like the number one, like um, Ocean Spray has this like special co-op thing set up with all the farmers there. Um, and we're like one of the top cranberry producers in like the country. 
is here in New Jersey. And like, same thing with like blueberries. And we're famous for producing, for developing um, this certain breed of blue blueberry that is the common like commercial blueberry. Um, basically, this guy back in the day like went throughout southern New Jersey and paid locals to bring him blueberry bushes of all different varieties. And they bred them into this like super common, the most common breed of like blueberry, I think in, in New Jersey. And that was farmed extensively after that, like as a, you know, still to this day, like you drive in South Jersey during the summertime and it's blueberry season. Like it's the best. I remember when I was at weird NJ, I used to have to read endlessly about New Jersey and I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd go into the Rutgers library. They had a New Jersey room that was all this rare archive stuff. And I once read the, this thing. It made me laugh so hard about the Pine Barrens that there was this thing that was happening for all. Because now I think they've figured out machinery that can deal with the bogs. But for a long time, those bogs are so delicate that to get those cranberries out, you had to do it by hand. Like these, You'd have this special wooden rake. Yeah. But you'd have to have somebody in there waist deep pulling the berries off the vines with a rake. And I think I do believe they've now found machinery that's like capable of not destroying the bog as they as they harvest the berries. They still flood them, and like that's the whole thing about those bogs. Like you go in there, it's the coolest thing. Like, and then I guess um, part of like that is an off season. Like you'll see them doing maintenance on the bogs, where they'll go back in and dig out areas where the water flows in and out. Oh shit! And then um, they have these like mechanized machines, but they're usually like kind of like lawnmowers with guys and or waiters. So it's still pretty hands-on. And I once read a thing that said there was this scam happening that made me laugh so hard uh-huh. where these cranberry bog farmers, these bogsmen, I guess you could say, they were sending school buses into Philly and they'd park the school buses in areas that had tons of bars and they'd wait till closing time and they'd wait till people came out shit-faced and they'd grab them and be like, hey, you want to make like 30 bucks right now or whatever? And they'd get these guys on the bus. They'd fill the bus with drunks. People would be passed out. People would come to from these blackout drunks standing in the middle of a fucking cranberry bog with a wooden rake. And they'd be like, what the fuck is this? You got to get me out of here, man. And they'd be like, no, you agreed to work for the day. Like, we're going to give you 30 bucks. And they'd be like, no, get the fuck this. I'm in the middle of a bog in southern New Jersey. What's going on? But they'd have them by the balls, right? Because they'd be like, well, I mean, yeah, we're going to send the bus back to Philly, but not till six o'clock. So you might as well make some money and work. Like, we have you here. So they'd basically like Shanghai dudes, these like drunk, hungover guys would be kidnapped and forced to work for a day as, as a bog harvester. I wonder if the guy who ran that was Wade Boggs. Oh, wouldn't it be perfect? Wouldn't it be so perfect? 